Greetings, fellow sports card enthusiasts. This is the 615 Collector. My name is Doug Turner. And I'm Brandon Turner. And we're your host of a weekly podcast that's dedicated to the world of sports cards. And as a reminder, we are independent. We don't take any sponsorships and don't get paid by anyone that we talk about on our show. That's intentional so we can remain unbiased and have the freedom to talk about anyone without conflict or omission. If it's newsworthy, we will mention it. Yep. So anybody that we mention the show based on our own experience and opinions and is absolutely not financially motivated. Yeah, all right. So this is show number 16. So keeping with the theme that we started last week and some significant things associated with show number 16th Amendment. We were talking about the 15th Amendment last week. We can come we up with some different things. We were talking about how little we know about the Constitution. Yeah, exactly. So the 16th Amendment is probably fitting for this time of year because it's the power basically the power of our government to tax us and it is we are coming up on tax season that's not fun and a lot of people are all concerned you know 2022 for the hobby is also tax things a big deal because now a lot of these companies are required to issue tax forms 1099s things you know whatever the appropriate tax forms are uh if you do more than $600. I think it used to be, I don't know what the threshold was, $10,000 or something like that. Didn't matter. Even if you didn't get a form, you still would have to file if uh, if you did business. But nonetheless, people are all, I've heard a lot of people kind of concerned about that, but it is what it is. Yeah, That's Venmo just, is doing the same thing, I think, now too. Yeah, they're required to as part of that. So, mm-hmm. But hey, that's what you got to do. You're doing business, you report it and pay your taxes. So is what it is. That is the 16th Amendment and 16th wedding anniversary. Figure that's probably good to give everybody a heads up if your 16th wedding anniversary is coming up. The traditional gift is wax. So think candles, but boxes hey, of cards. That's perfect, exactly. I didn't even you know, I didn't even think about that when we put that. I just put that two and two together right now. So that's perfect. Yeah, wax. You get sports give your give your wife sports cards. Please don't. Unless she like really likes them or something. Yeah. Or if we any for any women listen to the show, you can give your husband sports cards. That'd probably be a fantastic gift. It depends. As long as he candles. Anyway. anyway, wax is supposed to represent the burning passion of your relationship. For whatever that's worth. Modern gift is silver hollowware, which is just basically tableware that's not flat. Think like silverware, bowls, trays, that kind of stuff. Alright, that's probably enough of that. Athletes though. Athletes that wore number sixteen. There's some interesting ones on the list. Maybe not as many as I would have thought, but got to start at the top. Joe Montana, legendary quarterback, 49ers. Bob Lanier, basketball. Bobby Clark in the NHL. Whitey Ford, baseball, pitcher for the Yankees. George Blanda, a quarterback for the Raiders. Played for a couple teams, I think, but probably the Raiders. Paul Gasol. Or Paul, Gasol. Pa- Paul Gasol. Paul Gasol. Bobby Hull. And actually, Brett Hull as well, hockey players. Dwight Gooden, Jim Plunkett, another Raider quarterback. Len Dawson, quarterback for the uh, I think Kansas City Chiefs, actually. Modern day would be like Tyler Lockett, wide receiver for the Seahawks. Or maybe old, uh, another vintage guy, Frank Gifford. Maybe Pat LaFontaine in hockey. Or uh, Jason Giambi is another one that comes to mind, although hearts go out to him. And his family, because we did get heard the news this week, his brother Jeremy died. He was just 47, so mm. that was sad news to hear. But yeah, out of that list, I'd have to say I'm looking at that list Joe and I'm Montana. thinking, yeah, I'm thinking who's probably got the most. You know, you know probably you, not a lot of 16s. 
Yeah, and probably need to like. Often. Yeah, and probably need to. What I should do is compare all these like to their card values and rank them that way. But I bet you, if I did, Joe Montana's card Joe would probably Montana. be the most expensive. I don't Definitely. know. I don't know. Maybe the Holes Hole Brothers could have a card out there. Just I guess it depends on the card. The great Frank Gifford, that's vintage. Maybe Len Dawson. I don't know. Depends on the card, I suppose. But I know that a Montana rookie that would be in the 1981 tops is his rookie card and uh boy in a psa 10 that that goes for a pretty penny there are not many of those i don't have the pop count on him in front of me but uh i want to say in a psa 10 that's probably a 50 60 000 card Good something Lord. like that give or take all right uh where else should we go oh our listenership continues to grow that's awesome so happy to see in that and we've added a couple additional states and several new cities in some of the states that we're already in so that was great to see if you are new to the show welcome we're glad to have you and we thank all of you that are tuning in we really appreciate the support we hope that you find the show enjoyable and useful in your collecting journey absolutely um and if you do like what you hear it would really help us out if you did give us a five-star rating on whatever podcast service that you listen to us through Definitely helps us out a lot, and we would absolutely appreciate that. Yeah, that's a good point. Please do that if you are so inclined. All right, where do we want to start? Well, did you get any more um, into that economy event for PSA? I did. Yep, I got a I got a couple of more uh, submissions in. I missed. So they had. It's not. It looked. It's looking to me like they're probably going to have events every Tuesday and Thursday. Last two weeks, they've done them on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Uh, I got into. I think two of them. I missed out on two and got into two, so I was uh, I was happy about that. I wasn't happy I missed out on two, but I was happy I got into two. And uh, let's see, my um, yeah. Oh, by the way, I just got my email from them. The first economy submission that I did is already in the grading, so that I was, was excited about that. Yeah, they received it. It went through the whole sort of research and ID phase they have. And it's already in grading, so that was fairly quick, although I'm sure there's some folks out there that are like, hey, I've had cards with them for a year that I'm not happy about that. So I guess it depends on your perspective. Um, But they've said they're dedicating 20% of their capacity to the new service levels, regular, express, super express, economy that they've opened up. I know they're limiting the number of cards they're taking in. So I was kind of, now, it's in grading. It could sit in grading for a long time, so... You know, it's a 90-day turnaround. You know, I'm probably only, what, maybe 10 days into that first order. So we'll see. We'll see how it comes back. But I'm excited about that one because I got some really nice vintage. I got a couple of Jackie Robinson and Mickey Mm -hmm. Mantle cards in that one. So I'm excited about that. But the ones that I did just, so a couple ones I submitted. So this might be good because listeners can get an idea of, you know, kind of what the process is like and kind of what you go through. But I had actually some, because I was trying to think when I got the, allocation it's like okay now what because i probably have i don't know several hundred cards that i want to submit that would fit the bill for the economy service and so i was like all right trying to go through which ones i'm going to do so i decided to go with now this one may be a little bit of a gamble um but i decided in one of the submissions to go with some 1989 score football cards Mm -hmm. because there are three in particular that can be quite valuable if they get PSA 10s that's there's a Barry Sanders rookie card yeah, I'm looking at these numbers that you have here that's a really large difference it is Lord. well and it gives us an opportunity to talk about an oper- about something that I think could be pretty interesting strategy but 
So yeah, so there's a Barry Sanders, Troy Aikman, and Deion Sanders. They all have rookie cards in that set. It's kind of a classic. It's a it's a green card with their kind of mug shot. It's not a mug shot, but basically their faces on on the card. Sort of a classic, iconic looking card. Pretty popular, uh, and typically score cards, especially from you know 80s, 90s. They're not going to be your more valuable, but I guess it depends because the Emmett Smith uh, 1990 score supplemental. That's his rookie, and that uh, in a PSA 10 goes for about 1500 to $2,000, give or take. Uh, anyway, so Barry Sanders, Troy Aikman, Deion San- and Deion Sanders, it's their rookie cards. And here's the risk. If they get a PSA 9, uh, it's probably a bust because a Barry Sanders in a PSA 9 is probably around $150 is the value. The Troy Aikman is probably around $60, and the Deion Sanders is around $50. So remember, it's $50 to grade these. So basically, I'm going to break even or lose money if they get nines. However, if they get tens, and I looked at them, and I, you know, again, you hear about PSA grading tougher now. I don't know whether that, you know, I think Nat Turner said that's not true. They're the same, but who knows? I haven't necessarily experienced it myself. We've talked about that before. I've had some success in terms of getting, you know, cards to gem out, which just means get a 10. So we'll see. I looked at them. I think I've got a really good shot at getting 10s on those, but we'll just see. But anyway, but if they do come back 10s, the Barry Sanders in a 10 is trading for around $1,400. The Troy Aikman trades for around $650 to $700. And the Deion Sanders trades for probably around $750 in a PSA 10. So So again, look at that difference between a 9... 150 to 1400 exactly 60 to 750 to 750 exactly that's ridiculous yeah well and you know and it, it brings up a good point and actually while we're talking here let me pull up uh the barry sanders in gem rate so i can get the pop count on that because this brings up an interesting strategy that i think that i've used myself i've used it actually pretty successfully over the last several years and I think it's a nice strategy that investors can use. So I'm looking at the, oh, shoot, you know, I don't have the nine. Um, let's see, where can I get that? Oh, you know what? I think I can get that on Card Ladder. Let me go there because I think that will give me the, uh, the nine. Jim I, I, uh, Raid only has the uh, pop count on the tens. I, I can get it. Yeah, so let's take Barry Sanders as an example. So in a PSA 10, the pop count on that is just shy of 2000 1971 and sells for about $1,400. If you go to the PSA 9, the pop count is 8770 So it's about four oh, times yeah. the pop, um, and it sells for about $140. But So it's a 10%. The, the 9 is worth about 10% of the 10. And if you look at each of those, like in the case of Troy Aikman, the 9 is worth just under 10%. The Deion Sanders is actually less than 10%. For what it's worth, giving away a secret here, but that's a strategy I've used in the past where if the 10 is a low pop and highly valuable card and the 9 is you know not crazy pop count but trading for less than 10% of the value of the 10, my personal experience has been I have found that to be a really good opportunity for investment. That may not work out 100% of the time, but generally speaking, I've done really well with that strategy. And I've often found nines that might trade for 5% or less than the value of a 10. 
if you can find that, um, I think it creates an interesting strategy. Now, that's not for a flip. I'm not, you know, again, our, our general you know, perspective is we're more sort of medium to long-term investors, not short-term flippers. But And so this strategy I'm talking about here is probably more of a long-term investment strategy. But I do, th- and you know, because the theory there, at least my theory, well, I don't have any sort of evidence to, to prove that it's true, but the theory I've got is that, okay, if if the 10 is a low pop and it's too expensive, there's a bunch of people that won't be able to afford that. And so what, but they might want the card. And so what they're going to do is drop down a grade so that they can get the card, but get something that's a little less expensive. Well, what that means is that there's going to be a lot more people trying to go after a nine and that increased demand for the nine will drive that price up for the nine and close the gap with the 10. Now it's not going to, you know, close it totally, but if you have a nine selling, like in this case for, let's say eight or 9% of the 10, you know, I've seen that where the nine will close the gap and get up to 12 or 15% of the 10. And that's not with the 10 coming down. That's with the 10 staying flat or going up a little bit. And then the nine closes that gap. And if the nine closes that gap, you know, you can get a double your money return on the investment, even if the 10 doesn't really move a whole lot. So that tends to be an interesting strategy, it tends to be a more affordable strategy, too, because like you see on these, I mean, the go, you know, Troy Aikman nine is 60 bucks, whereas the 10 is 650 to 700 bucks. So could that nine, you know, if that 10 holds or goes up even a little bit to eight or nine hundred dollars or a thousand dollars over the next few years, that nine could easily be worth a hundred or one hundred and twenty dollars, which is a doubling in the value. So, yeah, it's a strategy I've used um, pretty successfully in the past. An example, well, I'll give you one example of extreme example that I've done it on, and that's the Ricky Henderson rookie card. It's in the 1980 top set, and the 10 on that, the pop count on his 10 is insane. It's like 26 cards or some crazy low number, and so the 10 sells for over $100,000, whereas a 9, now at the time I got the 9, they were selling for you know around $500, give or take. Now, the, you know, the 10, I don't know, I'd have to look it up and see. I don't think the 10 has moved a ton. It's probably moved some, but the 9 has gone up. The 9's now worth probably about $2,000, um, give or take, maybe a little less than that now. But um, So you've had a, a 3 or 4X in the 9, and you certainly have not had, a. I don't believe, a 3 or 4X in the 10. But So it's been closing the gap. Now, it's still at a pretty big discount to where the 10's at because it's probably, you know, 2%, something like that. And so could that get to 3 or 5%? I think it possibly could over time. And then the other part of this strategy that I like is if you are concerned about a potential downturn in the market, this is, you know, this tends to be okay. It tends to hold up better because there's not going to be a lot of, you know, if you think, so let's take the Barry Sanders, for example, 1400 for a 10, 150 bucks for a 9. You know, there's obviously not, a, a, there's, there's the 1400 for a 10, there could be big downside. I don't necessarily think there is, but there could be, right? Like you could see that that could drop to you know, five, six, seven hundred dollars, something like that. If it did, the nine will go down, sure, but it's not going to go down. I don't think that much. You know, the nine might go from 150 to maybe 120 or something. I think on a percentage basis, as well as on an absolute basis, uh, you you end up faring better in a downturn in the nine than you necessarily may in the ten. Now that just depends. Again, this is not. A blanket statement across everything. It depends on the card. It depends on the market. It depends on a lot of different things. So you kind of have to do your homework. But generally speaking, that's a strategy I definitely have used in the past. 
done well with it. Um, I've used it on, like I said, the Ricky Henderson. I've used it on some Derek Jeter stuff, on some Jordan stuff. And uh, anyway, so yeah, so it is, it's an interesting strategy. It is an interesting strategy. And you're starting to see it more and more um, in in the market now uh, with, you know, especially now don't use it. If there's, you know, 20,000 tens, don't use that. (laughs) Don't, don't go get the nine because, you know, in that situation, just wait till the 10 is affordable for you. If you can't afford the 10 now, wait till you can and get the 10. But I wouldn't, uh, in that situation necessarily go after a nine because the pop count's too high. But if you have a situation where the 10 pop count is low and it's a really high value, then again, the theory is that not as many people are going to be able to afford that. So, but if they want the card, they're going to step down a grade. And so they're going to go get the nine or, and and the same thing could be true with an eight, by the way, maybe you got really low pop count in nine and 10. And so then they might step to the eight, you know, you go, as you get to older cards, might even step even lower, like to the seven. You know, you can kind of take a look at that. And then as that demand comes into those lower grades, it drives that value of that of that card up. Anyway, all right. Well, we've spent entirely too much time on that, but it is. Well, it's a pretty interesting strategy, so that's all right. Yeah, it that's is. That's good. But, yeah. um, so what else did you send in? Uh, sent in. So the second, yeah, second order I sent in was, um, this one was kind of interesting. So I have a, uh, the first one, I've got a Walker Bueller. It was a 2018 Topps Chrome Sapphire set. I really like that set, by the way. I don't know why I just do. I just think the the, the Topps Chrome Sapphire is a really cool set. The 2018 was a great year. Um, after that, after that release, they dropped the number of cards you get in each box and the number of autos and everything else. But in that 2018 set, you got 100 cards per box. In the in the current sets, you now get like I don't know 32 cards a box or something like that, and maybe one auto. You got I think was it three or four rookie autos and 100 cards. And it's a great set. It's a lower print run set for Tops than some of the other kind of some of their other more flagship, you know, Tops or Tops Chrome products. Any, and so you find some valuable cards in that set. It's got the Acuna Junior rookie in it and the Otani rookie in a PSA 10. Those sell for probably four to five thousand dollars. In fact, I have that Otani. I got that one graded at the National in Chicago last year by PSA and got a 10 on it. So thrilled about that happy to have that in the personal collection but i have a walker bueller it's his rookie card and but it's not the base i I pulled the red parallel out of that and so that's a serial numbered card there was only it's serial numbered to 10 i have number six out of 10 and i don't know i'm not sure what that to be honest i'm not sure what that's going to sell for i think there's a really again a really good shot that it's going to get a psa 10 the last sale on his base card out of that set went for 400 dollars but I wouldn't necessarily put too much weight on that. It was only one sale. There hasn't been a whole lot of sales transactions in that card. And it's, it's been anywhere from like $150 maybe a couple years ago to $400 maybe a year or so ago, or maybe you know nine months ago, whenever that was. There's And with the red, again, serial number to 10. So there's only 10 in existence. The pop count at PSA for 10s is two. So only, I think three or four have been graded. Only two have gotten 10s. Uh, so I think mine's got a good shot to get a 10, but who knows? I'm thinking that card could be 1500 to 2000 or more if it gets a 10. Good Lord. Yeah, I don't know. We'll Pretty see. Pretty good. Yeah, so I sent that in. Um, I also sent in a Walter Payton rookie card. really like his rookie. I actually had three of his rookie cards in raw form. They're from the 1976 top set. I think that's a card that has good long-term investment value, by the way. And to give you an idea of the value on that card, a PSA 5 will fetch around $400. 
and then it kind of goes up from there. I Like I said, I had three of those raw. I had sent one into SGC before, and I got a four, and that was actually probably the worst condition card of the bunch. And so I sent in what I thought was the best condition card to PSA in this order. So we'll see. I'm hoping for, you know, five or better. Maybe a six, seven would be fantastic. And then I also sent in a Mike Schmidt rookie card. That one is actually from the 1973 top set. And it's actually, a, it's, a, it's not just a sole Mike Schmidt. It's, it's called Rookie Third Baseman. He's on that card with two others. And that's Ron Say, which I also like because that's a third baseman for the Dodgers. I'm a Dodger fan. And John Hilton are the other two. But that's Mike Schmidt's rookie card. A PSA 4, which is not great condition, is selling for around $200 to $225. A 6 is maybe upwards of $400 and then goes up from there. So excited about that one. And then I also sent in two cards from the 75 Tops set. There are two rookies that are probably the more valuable cards in that set. Uh, George Brett and Robin Yount and so sent those in the Brett in a PSA 6 gets around 200 bucks the 7 around 350 the 8's about 800 the card was very clean I think this is a good shot it gets a, a high grade so I'm excited about that one and then the Yount uh, to give you an idea where the value on that the PSA 7 trades for around 200 the 8's around 400 and you know goes up from there and again both of those were pretty clean so i think i've got a really good shot at a seven or above on both of those cards um but we'll see how they come back so but I, i'm excited about both of those orders all right that's enough probably about all of my psa submissions um but that was good good some good card talk we haven't done a lot of card talk over the or not you know real detailed card talk not anyway. really detailed so, but yeah so it was good, good to talk about some in. of that all right well um so you've had a chance to catch any of the winter olympics uh, I haven't honestly seen you. not been really watching basketball mostly right yeah i haven't really seen much of the winter olympics but i've been hearing about it yeah so we talked last time about chloe kim and hillary knight with the hockey team and uh sean white uh, michaela schiffer and some of those so we figured we just touch on that if anyone has not watched chloe kim absolutely killed it she became the first woman to win two olympic snowboard gold medals in the half pipe that was cool and she just blew the comment i think she had a score of 94 i want to say the closest was maybe 89 i mean she was four or five points above closest competitor she's only 21 years old she already has two she already has two she's 21 so so who knows she competed when she was 17 though? yeah like 16 or 17 huh. was her first olympic something like that well i guess 17 because every four years i suppose but yeah who knows hopefully we can look wow. forward to her competing in, in many more in the future then the women's hockey team is doing well we talked about hillary knight last time part of that women's hockey team she's performing really well she scored several goals and i was watching one of oh, who was it they were playing i forget the game i was watching but man she had i think two goals in like the first five minutes of the game and uh so they're doing well they got past the czech republic in the quarterfinals and now but you know what's funny about that game too i was looking at the stats they they won the game four to one, but when you look at shots on goal, they they outshot the How'd Czech they? Republic fifty nine to six. How did they only take six shots the entire the game? Czech Republic took six shots. How did and they scored only? How did they only take six shots the entire game? I, I don't know, but what? I think the, I think the bigger question is how do you take fifty nine shots and only score full four goals? Yeah, man. I'm, so the goalkeeper for the Czech Republic did a fantastic job. I, mean, I think that, she had like that 50. Czech Republic goalkeeper had the her work cut out for her. Good lord. Yeah, exactly. 
So now the women's hockey team's going to face... She's looking at that stat. She, she's looking at the fact that they took six shots, and she's like, are you serious? <laughs> exactly. I'd be pissed. Well, now the women's hockey team, U.S. team, is going to face either Japan or Finland. Uh, Japan and Finland matchup. So that was that game against Czech Republic was quarterfinals. So they're in the semifinals now. Japan and Finland, I think, play tomorrow on Saturday. It's Friday when we record the show. And and then so the U.S. will play the winner of that game. And then on the other side of the bracket, Canada won their quarterfinal game. So they're going to the semis as well. So it's looking like, you know, don't want to get ahead of yourself here, but Canada's looking strong. U.S. is looking strong. It's looking like it's probably going to be a, hopefully, U.S.-Canada matchup in the final, which is kind of what everyone, I think, was anticipating. You know, an interesting fact, the U.S. and Canada are the only two countries to have won the gold medal since women's hockey became an Olympic sport in 1998. Yeah, that's... Did uh, you know that? Yeah. I didn't know that, but that's not surprising. I mean... So hockey's not the most international sport there is. So yeah, well, and they it's play. It's surprising that those two countries. Well, but would be, you got you know you got Russia, you know. Finland, some of the Scandinavian countries. But yeah, so the and the, here's the thing: they played Canada in I don't know what it's called, the seeding round or the playing round or whatever it is. It's the or when they kind of do a round robin in the early you know to establish their seeds. Uh, but U.S. played Canada. It was a really good game. U.S. lost four to two. We'll see. It's going to be interesting. I, I hopefully they both make the finals because that would be a final game that I'd be really looking forward to. And then uh, a couple other people we talked about: Michaela Schifrin, she's a skier. She's not fared as well. Um, it was really kind of shocking. She didn't finish even a run in her first two events. She got what you call a DNF, which is did not finish. And but she did come back at least with an impressive run in the Super G, which is. Um, just the the giant Solomon, but she you know she didn't make the podium, so um, no no podium for her at least yet. I'm not sure if she still has another event or if she's done. But and then uh, Sean White, he just missed the podium by one spot, finished fourth in what's going to be in the half pipe snowboarding. It's going to be his last Olympics. I think he's retiring mm-hmm. after this one. So sad to see him go, but he's had a long and distinguished career. If anyone uh, listening picked up, I don't. I need. I sh- maybe on the next show we can talk about how some of the cards of those folks did. I would be willing to bet that Chloe Kim and, and Hillary Knight have probably seen some upticks in their card value, but who knows? We'll see. Uh, same thing with Sean White. I would think you'd see some potential long-term, you know, uptick in in the value of his cards as well. But all right, let's go to our listener idea. We talked about that. We weren't able to do that last show regarding kind of a major milestone event in sports history. You've got something for this today, right? Yeah, so on, I think it was Sunday, last Sunday, there was the anniversary of the legendary dunk contest between Michael Jordan and Dominique Wilkins in 1988. That was definitely a, a pretty big milestone, I guess. Definitely a legendary, legendary dunk contest between two, I mean, absolute great players. And have you seen that? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, it's one of the best dunk contests you, ever. You've gone back and watched. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It was. I remember it. And you. I remember you mentioned it to me. And I was like, you know, I kind of remember it. And I remember certain aspects of it. But I'm not sure. I, I need to go back and, and watch it again. So I, I watched a couple of uh, YouTube clips on it. And I was like, oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I totally remember all of oh, that. Was, it was yeah. the, the best thing about it. It was like actually competitive, too. Yeah, it wasn't just yeah. two, it was, like it was like, actually like 
there was a competitive dunk contest yeah. between those two guys. Well, and Dominique's ridiculous. I you know, jotted some notes down because I didn't want to forget to mention that. I mean, that three. he does that 360. He's got that the one where he does the reverse. It's like the double clutch. He brings the ball up, back down between mm-hmm. his legs, and then back up and does a reverse. That one, I remember my friends and I used to always try to mimic that. Of course, we'd do it on like an eight-foot hoop or something, but that was crazy. And then and you look at him in slow-mo, too, and like – I mean, his eyes are literally level with the rim. I mean, that's how high up he is. His his entire head is basically staring down into the basket. And then uh, Jordan, of course, that's the one where you've got that poster shot dunk from the free throw line. It's that's actually the one similar. That won it. It's a yeah, and it's similar to his rookie card. It's not. It's not the one that his rookie card. The picture of his rookie card. It, it's it different, but it's a similar view of of that dunk and and then that the other one i really liked that is also one that we always tried to mimic as kids is that sort of baseline that I mean, one is does that, one is, that one is probably the it's most kind of impressive the scissor dunk. kick that he does where he yeah has you're talking about right the one where he comes he comes from the side and then he goes forward and then he brings it around he gets the his side hand in dunks. the rim all the way in the rim yeah. too yeah that's the one that's the one where like you really have to like watch it in slow motion too to really actually see what he did, especially yeah. once he gets to the rim, because he kind of did like the Vince Carter, like he didn't hold his elbow in there, but he got his whole hand like down yeah. in the rim. Yeah, um, that one, that that dunk, that was the one that stood out to me the most from that contest. Well, and then there was the the windmill from uh, Dominique where he comes in from the side on the sideline, does the complete sort of roundhouse windmill. I mean, it was those guys. That was so many like literally poster shots of of the dunks they did. That was definitely an epic contest. Jordan won that contest. It should have been a dunk off. If you look at the last two dunks on there, the the one the one that Dominique did right before Jordan takes off from the free throw line. I mean, that should have been a fifty, right? I gotta be honest. Like, if you look at all the dunks in that contest, like yeah you can't say the other ones are and that one isn't well i gotta be honest that's why the dunk contest is like weird and kind of it is just kind of dumb in some some ways but well jordan is smooth but i gotta be honest going back we've talked about dominique before um when that patch card came out and we talked about him with sam on our on that women of the hobby interview we did and i've all i always liked dominique um as a kid growing up watching him play and that guy can jump out of the gym and that mm-hmm. was the one thing i think when you look at those dunks like, like i said jordan was very smooth but i actually think dominique had more i think he had better hops i, I believe it or not he i actually have. think he anyway he might have yeah but all right so but bring i mean it's just like some of the stuff that jordan did in the air i mean it's they both had great hops. Well, and here's the here's the thing about both of those guys. Have you ever the, the classic like Marv Albert like a spectacular move? You know what I'm yeah. talking about, yeah. where he like goes from like one hand to the other. Yeah. Like that's ridiculous. And yeah. doing stuff like that every night. I mean, yeah. come on, man. Yeah, you, you're talking about the one he. That's against the Lakers, I think, right in the finals. I think um, so. I don't he know. Goes, it's the he's one, driving down you the gotta lane. Know. He goes up. He goes up and, and he, he, he pulls like he's it back, switches and he, it, yeah, and then yeah. lays it up. Yeah, that's the and shot. And like Marv Albert, the, that's, the, that's yeah. like Marv Albert's like yeah. most famous moment. I watched that one live. I well, that. I wasn't at the game, but like live on TV. I like I, While it happened, that was un, and it was just like we were literally out of our seats on that one. Yeah, like, that holy means. cow. So here's the cool thing about Dominique and Jordan, too is their rookie cards they they actually came in the league around the same time and so they both have rookie cards in the iconic 1986 Fleer set that the 1986 Fleer Jordan rookie is the is sort of the you know that's like I mean aside well we'll talk about a couple other Jordan cards there are some other 
pretty valuable cards, but that's his most sought-after rookie. The pop count on the PSA 10 on that, I would say, is, I don't know, it's maybe 300, something like that. And then I'm looking at the Dominique. Um, he's also in that 1986 Fleer set. It's such a great set. Uh, the PSA 10, the pop count on the Dominique for a PSA 10 is only 93. And his, and so that card, you know, hasn't been a lot of sales, but the last sale was for over $15,000. If I go back to the nine for Dominique, more sales on that, still not a lot, but more. It's pop count of about 900. That one sells for around $1,000. And then you can work your way down. The Jordan in a PSA 10, that's the card that sells for, you know, half a million something like that and uh, uh, although when you drop down to the nine you know the nine is actually I want to say in the 20,000 range give or take and then it kind of works its way down it used to be for a while I'm not sure if it's still the same now but for maybe six months a year ago it used to be you kind of go a thousand you know basically multiply the grade by a thousand dollars for some of the lower grades like a four was four thousand a five was five thousand a six was six thousand and then, of course, as you got higher, it, it went up exponentially. The nine was not nine thousand; it was much higher than that. But those, their nineteen eighty-six cards are cool. They also have actually the interesting fact here: some what they're called star cards from like nineteen eighty-three, nineteen eighty-four, that time frame for both Dominique and Jordan. But I'd actually caution our listeners to probably steer clear of those because there were a lot of counterfeits made of those cards and and i think a lot of the grading companies have even stopped grading them anymore they won't authenticate and grade those cards because there's just too many counterfeits out there anyway so i think that's kind of why the 86 flare set plus the picture that jordan picture it it, it's not from the dunk contest obviously but because the dunk contest was in 88 but it's kind of that same view of him like flying from the free throw line through the air and then Jordan has a lot of other, you know, remember he signed a deal with Upper Deck, I believe, if I'm not mistaken. And so he's got a bunch of Upper Deck stuff that's pretty cool. Obviously a lot of Fleer stuff, a lot of Skybox. Some of the Skybox Metal Universe cards are really nice. And then one of the probably more expensive cards, um, and this is the case for all of these, any any athlete with these cards, and that's the the PMGs, which just stands for Precious Metal Gems. Um, if you've ever seen those, they're really nice cards, and those things, those are those are legit, uh, very cool cards. I like. There's a '95, '96 Skybox Premium card for Michael Jordan. It's called Electrified. It's like a green card. Yeah, that's with lightning. You have on like it. eight of those. Yeah, I know. Right? That's <laughs> I have a, a cool lot. one. I have a few of them. Yeah, and then and then like I said, some of those Skybox Metal Universes. You know, the other cards that are interesting, especially from a longer term investment value, because this is another potential strategy to think about, and that's some of the second and third year cards. So like the '87 Fleer and the '88 Fleer, those are some interesting sets, and they've been going up in value as well. And in fact, let me I'll let me find the. Um, Okay, so if you look at the 1987 Fleer Michael Jordan card, if you look at that in a PSA 8, we'll use an 8 because that's got a pop count of 6,500. What's the 9? The 9 is 2,300, but it's pretty expensive. It's around $1,700, give or take. Um, So let's use the 8, and so that's around $525. Uh, but that's been going up in value. Now it's maybe been flat over the last, you know, three, four, five, six months. But longer term, that's been going up in value. So that '87 Fleer set, both Dominique and Jordan have one there. The '88 Fleer set, they both have one there. That's a nice set. I actually have both of those sets myself. 
uh, don't have them those cards graded I those are actually when I was talking earlier about I've got hundreds of cards those that's an example of I got a bunch of I've got those entire sets and a bunch of other stuff that I need to get graded but um, in that 88 Fleer set, you also have the Scotty Pippen rookie card, which is a very valuable mm. card. Mm-hmm. And then I think Dennis Rodman's rookie card is in that 88 uh, Fleer set as well. And, you know, that's another strategy. So when you see, like, that 86 Fleer set that's become really expensive, uh, what often will happen there, too, kind of like the PSA 910 thing, is people might go to the second year. They say, okay, well, if I can't afford the rookie, then maybe I can go to the second year set or maybe the third year set. And some of that also depends on what other players are in that set. So like that 88 is an example, which is the third year set, you know, has the Pippen rookie and the Rodman rookie. So there are other nice cards within the set to go after. So sometimes you'll see, you know, collectors and investors kind of move upstream, if you will, to second and third year sets. And so another, you know, example of a strategy is as that demand, as the rookie year set gets so expensive that it drives people out from affordability standpoint, they shift to the second and third year sets that demand starts driving the prices of those higher and so i've i've also used that strategy and that's been you know successful in the past again not to say it would happen you know be successful every time in the future but it's something to consider um if you're looking at cards and say you want to get a rookie of a, of a guy that you like and but it's not affordable and maybe that whole set's really expensive go to that second year card they'll tend to be cheaper like you see here this you know, the second year Jordan and the 87 Fleer are significantly cheaper than 86, so more affordable, but also some decent long-term upside from an investment perspective as well. Okay, well, let's see. Now that we are, good grief, we're like half an hour in, let's go ahead and give the rundown for the show. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we'll give the rundown for what for what we're doing uh, left. Yeah, what's left of it. Ha-ha. All right, well... Uh, now we will cover some of the latest hobby news in the halftime report and then we're going to do a film study talk a little on the nfl but most of our time we're going to go through the trades that happened in the nba as the trade deadline was yesterday yeah and then we'll jump into the coach's corner to talk about some set composition and the different types of cards parallels inserts variations etc that are in sets these days and then we will come back and wrap up the show yeah i meant to do that coach's corner last time didn't get to it it'll be short we'll be quick on that one i promise you but hopefully give people kind of a quick rundown lots of good stuff let's go ahead and jump into the halftime report all right so we'll start off with some card show news because there are some big card shows coming up the long beach expo in long beach california of course it's happening February 17th through 19th, and PSA will be offering on-site grading. And then from February 26th to 27th, there is a show in Orlando, and PSA will also be on-site for autograph authentication, but they will not be grading cards at that show. Then there's also a big show in Chicago on March the 18th to the 20th. PSA will not be grading at that show either, but just like in Orlando, we'll be offering on-site autograph authentication. Yeah, that show is actually the same place that the National was held at. It's in that Donald E. Stevens Convention Center, so that should be cool. Also, don't forget about the Mint Collective. That's coming up in March. I think it's March 25th to 27th, and that's going to be held in Las Vegas. In grading company news, HGA provided an update that they are making progress at clearing their backlog. They are about 50 business days behind the expected timeframes. Yeah, they also announced the launch of their horizontal slabs, and they've also now launched nine new artist spotlights. If you remember, we had Tyler Hitt, their CEO, on our show several shows ago, 
and he talked about how they were at that time just getting started i think they had had two artist spotlights where they hire an artist to to design a custom label that people can purchase and have be part of their cards that get graded and be part of that slab and so they've now just announced their ninth artist that's part of that program they also continued their fake friday where they're showcasing cards on their social media channels that were submitted to them uh, that were fake yeah that's kind of a little bit of sad news i guess that the fact that there's you know they can have so many cards they can have a fake friday and show all these cards that were fake but i do think it was interesting to point that out it, it is contrary to there's some let's put the, put it this way there's some very sort of uh, vocal and popular uh, content producers in this hobby that have made the erroneous claim that hga doesn't authenticate cards and that they only want to work with grading companies that authenticate and all this kind of stuff well, HGA, we, we had Tyler hit on. He talked about it. They do authenticate cards, and this is not an advertisement for HGA. We like them. We've used them in the past. We also like SGC. We also like PSA. We use all the grading companies. It just depends on the card and you know why we're getting it graded, what the purpose is, the value, all that kind of stuff. There's a lot of factors that go into which grading company to use for what card. But nonetheless, uh, the fact is HGA does authenticate cards, and speaking of authenticating cards, SGC and BGS were unfortunately in the news this past week as they authenticated and graded what turned out to be counterfeit Top Sun Pokemon cards. I believe they were Charizard. These guys got to stop trying to grade Pokemon cards. Exactly. I know. That's the thing. I mean, so, yeah, they were Charizard. We would make we would make fake Pokemon cards as kids. And, like, Did you really? The kids at school would be like, believe don't it. Don't say that. I don't want to know that. <laughs> well, it was like... I mean, it was all fun. Like, we didn't trade them or anything. All right. But, good, like, we would... Good. And it was, like, super obvious, too, and the kids wouldn't even know. It was just funny. Like, I remember, I remember like, Noah, he would, like, print out the... Like, a piece of paper, and then he would just, like, glue it onto a coupon nice. card. Nice. And he would take it, and it would be, like, this unbeatable card. And, like, all the kids at school would believe it. It was oh, so silly. Oh, that's terrible. I don't want to hear it these so stories. stupid. I don't want to hear about it. Oh, we were, like, no eight idea. years old. I'm just saying, like, <laughs> I know. I'm just I know. saying, man. People have been, like, counterfeiting these Pokemon card stuff for, like, forever. I know. Well, and it's, kids. you know, shades of that Logan Paul thing with BBCE that authenticated the box, that Pokemon box that was fake. So, yeah, I, I do think there's something to the fact that, you know, these Pokemon, I, you got to be careful, especially I, Pokemon to me is is almost getting to the point of like star cards that we just talked about um, with Jordan and Dominique because it just there's so many fakes out there i don't know why i don't know if they're somehow easier they're just more effort going towards making them because there's obviously a huge surge in the grading and the value of these cards and uh, and anytime you get a big surge in value of anything like that you see fakes and counterfeits start coming to the market but i thought this was interesting again not not to point out um, anything negatively about bgs or sgc for grading these and authenticating them because again we use SGC and we like SGC but it just points out the fact that all these companies none of them are perfect they all make mistakes and you know look grading and authenticating cards is hard especially in this day and age where the the people that make the counterfeit cards have gotten really good you know Tyler talked about that on our show and we asked him he said they've you know they've almost gotten to the point where there's practically only a couple of pixels anymore that you can look at to tell whether a card is is fake or not and I just bring this up you know because again 
remember when HGA, HGA had a couple of cards that they graded and authenticated that were turned out to be fake and holy cow the hobby just blew up and wanted to trash HGA and talk about how terrible they are and again I'm not trying to do some cheerleading for HGA here um, because that's just not what we're here to do but but that said it does bother me when people sort of act this ira- in these irrational ways in our hobby and try to tear companies down that I think are otherwise legitimate companies with good people trying to do the right thing, trying to build a good long-term business. And, and I don't know why there has to be such an effort. And then you turn around and, you know, PSA has been found of grade fakes or SGC be found to grade fakes. And, and, you know, you don't get that same kind of response. Um, that you get from or same thing with BBCE there was again another sort of social media content you know producer influencer whatever you want to call them that was just ripping BBCE for that Logan Paul thing and talking about you know how you can trust this well I happen to know that group is sponsored by SGC so I'm curious what they're going to say about SGC now I'm sure they will defend them and try to you know give all the reasons of 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 why it's different but it's not all these companies it's tough it's challenging they're all going to make mistakes and that was the one thing that was nice about SGC Peter I think it's their president or CEO not sure his official title but he came out made a statement about it he owned up to it owned the mistakes that they were going to do everything they could to make it right and fix this had a meeting with his graders and authenticators to talk about how they could have prevented this from happening but he also owned up to the fact and said look this won't be the last mistake we're going to make there's going to be stuff like this that's going to happen they can't promise to be perfect but what they can promise is that they're going to get better and they're going to do everything they can to try to avoid this kind of thing so it's just something that people need to be aware of when we've talked before when money comes in like this you're going to see a lot more people trying to scam people i hate it it drives me crazy but unfortunately it is what it is there are bad people out there that want to do bad things and for whatever reason they want to do things illegitimately instead of trying to do it legitimately it's like if you put that much effort into doing something legitimately you'd probably be pretty successful yep <laughs> so why don't you focus your time on something more legitimate but anyway we're not doing a penalty box today so i'll get off my rant and let's go what else do we got ebay ebay oh is this me yeah so ebay announced a fee hike is going to take effect in three weeks I'm not going to go into all the details on that. You can visit their site if you want to read the announcement and learn more about the fee increase and other changes that they are making. All right, then fractional ownership news. The collectible announced some more buyout offers. First one was for the 1954 Topps rookie card of Ernie Banks. It was graded a PSA 9. The offer was $150,000. Yeah, and full dis- full disclosure here, I actually own that one. I'm, I'm a shareholder in that particular card on their platform, so I'm participating in that vote. Uh, that card came public at $87,000 was the value. It had previously actually received a $150,000 offer that was rejected. By the way, that's why I bought it. Another interesting strategy. We're giving away a lot of secrets on today's show. But another interesting strategy, if you go on these fractional ownership platforms, they will tell you when a card has had an offer in the past and it got rejected and what the value was. And so in that instance, the, the card had a $150,000 value. I think it was trading at maybe 90,000 or whatever the, the the amount was at the time and so I was like all right you know and I looked up the value the, the amount it was trading at on the site was a fair value I thought it was a little undervalued knowing they had had an offer of that much that had been rejected I figured okay that's an interesting long-term investment opportunity sure enough another offer comes around the interesting thing here is it's the same amount it's $150,000 again so the question is will shareholders reject this one as well 
or will they accept it? The value of the card prior to the offer being made, it was trading around $132,000 on the platform. And I am not going to disclose how I voted. Mm. <laughs> All right. Well, the results are in for the vote on the $96,000 offer on the 1957 Topps Frank Robinson basket. Uh, that included two cards, both graded a 9 by PSA. That offer was accepted by shareholders. Yep, and they also received a $130,000 offer for their 2007-2008 exquisite triple patch auto card. That was the one that had Michael Jordan, Magic Johnson, and LeBron James on it. Uh, three patches, three autographs. It was serial numbered three out of three. It was graded a 9 by BGS. That card came public at $125,000, so not much of a premium to the IPO value. But it was trading down on the platform at around $106,000 prior to that offer. There's been no word yet on whether shareholders have accepted or rejected that offer. Yeah, and then hot off the press, another offer came in just before we started recording the show today. This one was for their 2013 National Treasures Rookie Patch Auto, or RPA, as they say. Giannis Card, I'll let you pronounce the full name because I can it's never It's literally his last phonetic. Name. You got it, man. Antet Canopo. <laughs> Just sign it up. All right, Antedo. Antedo. And then Kumpo. Kumpo. Antedo Kumpo. All right, there you go. It's like pretty, it's, it's phonetic. I, I, I know, I, I hear you, I hear people, I watch him play and I hear it pronounced and I just can't do it. So I just say Giannis. That's, but anyway, Giannis. he had, yeah, he had his 2013 National Treasures rookie patch auto. It was graded a nine by PSA. It was serial numbered 11 out of 99. And the offer was for $140,000. That card came public on their platform at a value of $112,500. That was trading around $123,000 prior to the $140,000 offer. Yeah, and remember last show we talked about the Dan Marino rookie card basket that Collectible was offering, and we talked about how we thought that offered some good long-term investment value because they were bringing it a pretty decent value. Yeah, that one sold out real quick. I was bummed about that. I actually really wanted to get in on that one, but I... I wasn't available when it dropped and it sold out in like a matter of minutes. But it'll come on the platform and start trading probably in another, I don't know, maybe month or so, give or take. So you can look for that. All right. And then in NFT news, Tops announced that they will be auctioning off a 1952 Tops Mickey Mantle NFT card. It will be a one of one. The auction starts on March 1st at 1 p.m. Eastern Time. It's going to end on March 4th also at 1 p.m. Eastern Time. Yeah, not sure how that one's going to work exactly, but you can go to their site learn more about it if you want. On the NFT front, I will say Panini, I think, continues to do a good job in the NFT space. We didn't talk about that at the top of our show, but I'm continuing actually to do pretty well with their NFTs. I've sold several cards over the last couple of weeks thanks to those challenges that they do that we've talked about before. I think it's an interesting space. Obviously, I don't think you know physical cards are going away. I do think NFTs, though, are here to stay. I think they will likely continue to grow in popularity, and especially when Fanatics gets more involved. You know, remember, Fanatics has an NFT company. I think it's called Candy Digital, if I'm not mistaken. And so you know they're going to be making a push in the space. And so I'd imagine we're going to see more growth there. All right, we covered a lot of ground. We're running a little long, so that'll do it for today. Let's move on to our film study. Okay, real quick before we do, though, uh, get into the we want to cover NFL and NBA stuff I do want to touch on real quick because there were two huge card sales this past week kind of surprising card sales to be honest one was for uh, Jason Dominguez who's a who's a basically a baseball prospect very popular baseball prospect but I don't think he has played I want to say 
I think he's in single A still. He certainly hasn't been in the majors, and um, and so big risk to you know invest a significant amount in his stuff. But he had a I think it was a Bowman Chrome Superfractor, which so it's the one of one, and that's obviously the reason it sold for so much because there's literally only one that exists. But that sold for I think was it four hundred and seventy four thousand dollars in a golden auction this past week. It was crazy. And uh, and our listeners might remember the person that bought that card was someone that goes by the handle at Shine150. Does that ring a bell to you? A little bit. Yeah, he's the one that uh, was involved with Logan Paul in the mm. purchase of the Pokemon box. He's the one that paid uh, what was it, two hundred or two hundred two point seven million or something like that for the box, and then turned around and sold it to Logan Paul for three point three mm. million or however much it was. Um, so that was him. So he bought that one, and then as he was talking about buying that one in a public interview, also made it known that he was a bidder in another card that went at a surprising value, I think, and that is there was a Zion Williamson card, and that Zion card sold for $594,000. It was his National Treasures rookie card. It's a rookie patch auto, uh, graded 9.5 by BGS. The auto was a 10 serial numbered to 99 i think it was i don't have the exact number maybe 60 something out of 99 but that sold for five hundred ninety-four thousand dollars. and he's you know Dude, he has he has yet to play a full season exactly but what's interesting is that at shine 150 who um I forget what his name we talked oh, i can't remember his actual name now but anyway he actually was bidding on that talked about how he owns another card another maybe it's another zion or something and so he talked how he's bidding up to like five hundred thousand, and he made the comment like hey he's got to protect his investment Hmm. you know and just so be aware that stuff goes on and so when you see some of these sales transactions now he wasn't shill bidding if he would have won it he would have bought it and owned it but still you you have those kinds of things happen where so here's a guy that owns maybe one of these zion cards he wants to protect his investment so he's going to get in there and he's going to sort of undergird the bidding and you know if he gets it he gets it fine but it's almost like kind of trying to prop the market up a little bit to ensure that it doesn't have a big fall and maybe or or goes for a higher price so that stuff does go on so that's where you got to be a little careful when you're looking at sales data and i would try not to get too carried away with any one particular sale try to look at more of an average over time certainly with some of these cards that are serial numbered you're not going to have a lot of volume of transactions so it becomes difficult but just know as you're going in if you're bidding on things and obviously we probably don't have a lot of people that are bidding on half million dollar cards but the same kind of stuff can happen on a two hundred dollar card or a one hundred dollar card or a thousand dollar card and so just be aware of that and that's where you kind of have to just have your price of knowing what you think you're willing to pay and then stick to that. Have discipline. Don't go over that. But anyway, I thought I wanted to touch on those two cards because that was those were crazy high sales for two guys that are, I mean, that's there's high risk associated with those, man. I mean, who knows if Zion, hopefully he's going to come back and have a fantastic career, but who knows, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, <laughs> and same thing with Jason. Like, Hard to say. He, Dominguez, he may not even, like, we don't know if he even makes the pro. I mean, probably makes the majors, but you don't even know. So there's been a lot of, especially in baseball, a lot of top prospects in the past that were really hyped up early in the minor leagues and then never made the pros. So big risk on those 
But I'm sure there'll be big reward if they do make it too. They're probably million dollar cards if those guys turn it around. All right, so enough of that. Where do we want to go? NFL or NBA? Let's do NFL. NFL real quick. So mm-hmm. you're still sticking with your Super Bowl predictions? Yeah. yeah so you're so riding you with Ram- Joe. No, you were Bengals. Riding right? with Joe. That's right. You were Bengals, and I'm going Rams. You're going Bengals. Betting lines haven't changed, interestingly enough. So there's Rams are still favored by four. Money line is still the same. The over under is still the same. Forty eight and a half. Looks like uh, people are expecting a close game. I will say this. Burrow cards are probably going to be ridiculous if they win. There will be a crazy spike, I would imagine. They've already obviously gone up a lot. My recommendation would be do not chase them and don't get a case of FOMO or fear of missing out, as they say. Uh, if, If you didn't own them before this, then it's too late. You missed out. So just wait. I promise you. If you get a big spike after the Super Bowl with the win, let's say, I promise you they will come back down in value at some point over the next year. And so I would just wait. If you really want to get in on them, wait until that happens and then pick a better spot at some point. But anyway, all right, so that's it, Super Bowl. Then also we had some kind of big news because the NFL announced all their awards. And so, yeah, so Aaron Rodgers got his second straight MVP, beating out Tom Brady and Cooper Cup. It was actually Rogers' fourth MVP. I didn't realize that he had four of them. He now only trails Peyton Manning, who had five. I'm kind of surprised by that, really. Like, is it is it surprising that Tom Brady wouldn't have more? I thought Brady would have had more, but I also know that from experience debating this before with someone else that um, Aaron Rodgers... Well, basically, I, I've debated this before with somebody who thought Aaron Rodgers was the GOAT, and I obviously think Tom Brady's the GOAT. And one of one of the big arguments for Aaron Rodgers is his stat lines and his MVPs. But obviously, he doesn't have as many rings, and that's you know, there's yeah. a lot more of intangibles than that. But so well, I I I was I thought Brady had more when I saw this, but then I was like, well, actually, like Rodgers has had like a lot of. I do remember him having a lot of MVPs. I think he gets a bad rap too, mm-hmm. I because think he does. I, I, all I heard after the the Green Bay lost in that first round, or I guess technically second round, because they had a bye. But was, oh, Rodgers choke Munster in the playoffs and whatever. Look, I get it. He's been to one. People go, oh, he's been to one Super You know how hard it is to get to a Super Bowl? <laughs> when they talk about, oh, he's only been to one. Matt Stafford has not been to a Super Bowl yet. He's going to his first Super Bowl. And how long has he been in the NFL? This may, you know, who knows how many more years he has left. Like, Dan Marino, one of the greatest quarterbacks ever, never, if I'm not mistaken, certainly didn't win a Super Bowl. I don't, did he go to one? I'm not, oh, Dude, shoot, making, I, I totally forget. I'm going to say something. That, making but. making a championship game in any league is ridiculously hard. It's hard. It is it's so hard. hard. It's, it's really hard in football, too, because you're like one and done. Um, that's really tough, especially when you're yeah. a good team. Yeah. Because um, if you screw up, like you're, it's over. Yeah. You don't get another chance. Absolutely. Um, well, I, I want to bring up Steve Nash, two-time MVP, never made the finals in the NBA. There you go. That's a pretty good comparison. Yeah. Like there you that go. happens all the time. It's just hard, man. Absolutely. It's hard. Well, and I look at that Green Bay game, and I, to me, it's just the it's the lazy person's narrative to say, oh, Rogers choke. That's lazy person's analysis. If you look at that game didn't have anything to do with Rodgers, right? Green Bay should have won that game hands down. Rodgers didn't fumble the ball, right, when he, he threw that pass to, uh, I think it was, what's his name, the tight end, and he fumbled. They were driving down, getting ready to score their second touchdown, and then he fumbled. And then Aaron Rodgers didn't get the field goal blocked at the end of the half. 
uh, or whenever that was. I think it was the end of the first half. So they very well could have been up 17-0 at halftime. Could have ended up being a blowout. Aaron Rodgers wasn't the one that got the punt blocked for a touchdown at the end of the game to put the 49ers in that position to win. So, I mean, give me a break. If you look at the analysis in that game, it really wasn't on Rodgers. It was it was on the rest of the team. Now, did Rodgers have an outstanding game? No. And you know, was it was you know, could he have done potentially better? Possibly, yeah. But I don't I don't I think it's a lazy narrative to say he choked in that one. Now, maybe in some of the prior years past, yeah, maybe he's had some bad games in the playoffs. But anyway, but he, you know, he's a four-time MVP. He's a Super Bowl champion. Those are very difficult things to do. I think people in this day and age get spoiled because they think about, oh, well, Tom Brady, Tom Brady. Well, Tom Brady's the Brady's exception. one of one. He's one of one. That's he's right. He's one of one. Like, there's, he's the there's exception. a one of one of, like, How? every sport, they got a one of one. That's right. You can't I mean, compare everybody else to that Brett guy. Favre, right? He mm-hmm. had one Super Bowl. Uh, I, I, I shouldn't get into it because I, I don't remember top of my head on, on all the Super Bowls for everybody. But you, let's do it this way. Think about the young class of quarterbacks. Murray, Kyler Murray, Lamar Jackson, Justin Herbert, Joe Burrow, Tua. Um, who else? I'm missing some guys. Um, not every one of those quarterbacks going to win a Super Bowl. Doesn't mean they aren't good quarterbacks. So anyway, it's hard, like we've said. So it's a bad rap. So other other awards that went out. Um, Jamar Chase got Offensive Rookie of the Year, wide receiver for the Bengals. Actually had a, had a couple of his cards that I probably going to send in to get graded might send those to sgc a little lower on the value scale but burrow got comeback player of the year actually beat out i would have voted dak on that one dak prescott would have definitely voted yeah in a close vote that was a close vote the interesting one here i thought was micah parsons with the cowboys he won defensive rookie of the year and he was the first ever in nfl history to win that award unanimously Mm. and now defensive players generally don't get a lot of hobby love you don't see their card values go up a lot but you know he could be an interesting one again you're not gonna it's not gonna be crazy high prices but that's another one of those i do think for a long-term investment perspective that some of the non-quarterback positions in the nfl some of the like top all-time defensive players some of the wide receivers running backs i think there's upside in some of those players cards and uh, and you know there's some precedent there if you look at like a lawrence taylor or a Jerry Rice or some of those guys um, in the values of their cards. So anyway, and then uh, Coach of the Year went to your your boy, yep, Mike Rabel, well. with mm-hmm. the Titans. By well the way, deserved. he's got some cards out there that you can get. I think actually, you know, there's an interesting um, – I'll have to – I don't have him up on card ladder. I have to pull that up. But getting some of his cards, his rookie cards, I think was the Patriots, right? Was his, Did he get drafted yep. by them? I think that's mm-hmm. his rookie card with the Patriots. But – um, it's not crazy expensive. I think that could be an interesting one because I do think Vrabel's going to be one of those sort of long-term stellar coaches in the NFL. He had a long-term good player career. I think he's going to have a long coach career and or coaching career. And so anyway, and then no surprise here, Cooper Cup got Offensive Player of the Year. He did win the Triple Crown. Defensive Player of the Year, probably no surprise as well, mm-hmm. T.J. Watt. Yep. He got the sack record or tied the sack record. And the Hall of Fame class was announced. This was interesting. Leroy Butler um, who's the defensive back for Green Bay? Um, Bryant Young, defensive tackle. Uh, Sam Mills, who was a linebacker for the Saints in Carolina. Cliff Branch, wide receiver for the Raiders. Richard Seymour, who was um, defensive end with the or tackle with the Patriots, I think also played for the Raiders. Art McNally, who was actually director of officiating. Tony Baselli, an offensive lineman for the Jaguars, and Dick Vermeil, the coach. Heck, coach the Eagles. He's 
the Rams, mm-hmm. um, several teams in his career. But so that's your Hall of Fame class. Interestingly enough, I think it was the first time in a like I don't know ten plus years where no first year eligible player got um, uh, uh, what do you call elected to huh. be in you know yeah, to be yeah. up for vote for the Hall of Fame. So that that was kind of interesting. So anyway. And we can talk maybe at a later time. When I think about card values for all those guys there, I don't know. There's not not a lot of them jump out. The ones that might jump out to me would be someone like Cliff Branch. One like Art McNally. Um, you know, <laughs> not that one. Uh, Dick Vermeil, I think, is interesting if you can pick up some coach cards. And, uh, and then Cliff Branch the wide receiver for the Raiders, but I don't have any of the data on them in front of me now. So let's let's jump to the NBA and get into trade talk because, boy, there was not a lot of activity up until then all of a sudden in the last couple days oh, it man, all started it happening. Oh, man, blew up with the trade deadline. Oh, man, this, this has got to be one of the better trade deadlines in recent years. I mean, there was a lot of movement. So the deadline was yesterday. That was February 10th. Um, so I'll go through. There were a couple, obviously, blockbusters. We'll talk about... Simmons for Harden, that's a pretty, I mean, that's obviously like, you know, the trade, but I'm going to go ahead and run through most of these trades here, and then we'll just talk about a few, that one included, so this was earlier in the week, we, we talked about uh, the Powell and Covington trade, I think, right, on the last show, we just mentioned it, I'm pretty I, sure. Did we? I'm probably pretty sure we did. Maybe we did, I don't remember. Well, in case we didn't, um, this was February 4th, the Blazers uh, gave Norm Powell and Covington to the Clippers. Blazers will get Eric Bledsoe, Justice Winslow, Keon Johnson, and future pick. Then February 7th, uh, Karis LeVert is headed to the Cavs uh, for the Pacers, Ricky Rubio, and some picks. And then moving up, we had the McCollum trade. So Trailblazers also get rid of McCollum. So this is the end of the uh, Dame McCollum era in Portland. McCollum's going to the Pelicans. The Pelicans will get him, Larry Nance Jr. and Tony Snell. Blazers get Josh Hart, Nikhil Alexander-Walker. Just say Blazers get nobody. I mean, nah, those, those two guys, <laughs> those two top guys are actually good. And actually, Nikhil Alexander-Walker, actually, they got rid of him. They traded him in another trade I'll talk about in a second. Um, a couple other, some other picks, some other bench players. Like, I'm not even going to try and pronounce their names. This was a big one. We'll talk about this one also February 8th. Uh, the Kings and Pacers trade. So the Pacers... We're going to get Tyrese Halliburton, Buddy Heald, and Tristan Thompson. The Kings will get DeMontis Sabonis, Justin Holliday, and Jeremy Lamb, as well as a pick. Yeah, the big big names from a sports card world. I mean, there's probably bigger names of those group would be Sabonis and Halliburton. I I like Halliburton. That trade surprised me. That trade surprised me for both teams, but we'll talk about that in a second. Um, Heat got rid of KZ Akpala, sent him to Thunder, got a pick, probably to free up cap space. Here is a three-team deal on February 9th where, like I said, Nikhil Alexander-Walker left. They gave him to the Jazz, so the Jazz will get him. Wancho Hernan Gomez from San Antonio. Blazers will get Joe Ingles, Elijah Hughes, and a pick. And the Spurs will get uh, Thomas uh, Santoransky. I'm definitely saying that wrong. That's all right. Yeah. Um, I'm going to skip over that one. A couple, like, smaller ones here. Um, I'll go ahead and do... Well, the Suns got Torrey Craig back. They got rid of Jalen Smith. That's a pretty good one. Oh, Trez, he's going to the Hornets. Montrez Harrell, he's a Hornet really? now. Really? Yep. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. He's right. a Hornet now. Montrezl, you mean? Yeah, Her- Wizards made some moves. Um, okay, so this is one. There's another four-team trade yesterday where the Bucks sized up a little bit. So as you know, Brooke Lopez 
um, their center. He's been out with back surgery. And so they were a very big team before this, but without him, they're actually pretty small. So they went out, they got Sergi Baca, which is actually pretty a pretty good move. Clippers will get Rodney Hood, Semi Ojale. Kings will get Dante DiVincenzo, Josh Jackson, Trey Lyles. And then the Pistons will actually get Marvin Bagley the third, which is actually, I mean, that's an interesting move. Yeah. If you don't remember him from recent years, he I was, do. I think, the number one pick. All that's right. a pretty good move for the Bucks. Now we're getting to, like, the bigger ones. Yeah, let's get to the big stuff. So here. these are the top three right here that I have right here. So the first one, the Celtics got Derek White from the Spurs, which is actually a pretty good move. I just saw a game, Derek White's first game with Boston. He was already playing very well. I think that's going to be a good move for them. Then we have the Mavericks sending Porzingis to the Wizards. Mavericks will get Spencer Dinwiddie, um, Davis Bertans, and Cue obviously... the head-scratcher sound effect. Yeah, Wizards will get Chris Depps, Porzingis, so that, that'll be an interesting one. And then obviously the big blockbuster one, the Harden-Simmons trade, which I actually think the most interesting part about this trade is actually not Simmons or Harden. It's the other players that went along um, to the Nets, really. So 76ers will actually get James Harden and Paul Millsap. The Nets will get Ben Simmons, Seth Curry, and Andre Drummond, yeah. as well as two first-round picks. definitely think the Nets got the, the better Nets end of that deal. The Nets absolutely won that trade. So let's talk about that for a second. So we'll talk about that one first. Um, I definitely agree. I think the Nets definitely win. I think this is an interesting situation where both teams will get immediate benefit from a trade, which is doesn't happen a lot. But... I'm just surprised that the 76ers made that trade. I'm going to be honest. Like, giving up that much, they gave a lot of depth. Well, I'm I mean, I'm only surprised. I'll tell you what surprised me. Yes, I'm surprised they did it, but I'm more surprised because of the position or the positioning they were, and the stance they were taking going into all this. Like, exactly. all year yeah, they've that's been taking thing. the stance like, oh, we've like, got to we'll get wait. this haul for Simmons yeah. or we're not going to move him. And then, like, I mean, obviously you get Harden. But well, here, well, also let me explain uh, something. You gave up, I mean, Curry, too, in addition to Sim- so. Well, here's another thing that you have to also understand for this trade is that a simple James Harden for Ben Simmons trade actually does not work. Other pieces have to be included because they have a very significant salary difference. Hmm. So yeah. other pieces have to get moved, and those have to balance out. So both teams are going to have to give up a little bit more than just those two players. So it makes this trade actually a little bit more complicated. So that's why you see several more players being involved in this deal. I'm just surprised that they gave up they decided to give up that much death. I mean Seth Curry was probably their best their third best player right I now. Know. Yeah. With Ben Simmons out. Absolutely. They had probably the best set of centers in the league with Andre Drummond as a backup center. I mean, he's good for ten rebounds a game coming off the bench. That's ridiculous. He plays the right way. Like he'll get you a double double if you need him to. And yeah. like oh, the I, seven, Paul Millsap wasn't even playing for the Nets. So Well and here's the thing too. Simmons I, I know guys are kind of try to make fun and I guess rain on Simmons a little bit but I don't know it'll be interesting to see what happens with him outside of Philly and you will see what he does I'll tell you this much I'm looking at his card values and so he was by the way for listeners so his rookie year was in that 2016 2017 class and so I'm going to look I'll give you a couple card values so if I look at his um, base card prism 2016 prism base PSA 10 uh, 1300s the pop but man, it's moved up. It was selling for 150 bucks, give or take, over the last few months, and and now that's moved up. Now again, oh, volume actually made playing up now. Be real be playing. high. But yeah, now all of a sudden it's you know he's 240 dollars on that card. And then if you go look at, I'll take the silver from that same uh, from that same set. So here's the silver in a PSA 10, more expensive card, lower pop, 
but that was down in the you know $700 range give or take now it's upwards of $1,500 now granted not a lot of transactions so you got to take that a little bit with a grain of salt but nonetheless most of his stuff so let's look at like uh, let me find a maybe one of his net marvels cards or let me find something else here that I can grab on to um, to get an idea I, I don't want raw I want to see a graded all right so here's a 2019 Don Russ um, net marvels card let's look at a let's look at a PSA 10 and so not not enough volume there sorry let's go to the PSA 9 so the 9 you know it's not an expensive card but it was a $20 $25 card it's now over 30 with some trades that have gone over 40 so it's interesting to see his stuff has actually really started to move up which isn't surprising with this now there's probably a lot of guys that are going to say oh sell on the news because of what happened with him in the playoffs with 76ers last year and everything else but I don't know, you know, maybe. Well, here's here's I what mean, I will say about that. This is a very good situation for Ben Simmons to be in because in Philadelphia, they were really expecting him to be like that second option, yeah. that second best player. And he's, I mean, obviously he's not a good shooter. He Scoring the ball is not like his, his thing to do. So going to Brooklyn, he can really focus on like being Ben Simmons. He doesn't need to shoot the ball because look at how many freaking shooters they have now. They yeah. just added Seth Curry. They already had a, like a million shooters. They had Patty Mills. They had Joe Harris once he comes back. Well, and they got Durant coming back. And they have Durant. They have Kyrie. Like they're like scary once Kevin Durant comes back. But well, like exactly. So like you have Durant, you have Kyrie, you have all these shooters around them. Ben Simmons doesn't even need to score. He can just play defense. He can just push pace, get out in transition, find the shooters. Like. He can just be Ben Simmons and yeah. really contribute to this team. Like, and he's not going to have that same pressure that he had in Philly. So I think this is a really, really good situation for him. And, and here, also, he already signed. So the Nets should have him for like a pretty good period of time as well. Another interesting tidbit for card collectors on Ben Simmons, if you are interested. And, um, I, is, and I, I think I've got my facts correct on this. So, But you may want to double check me. Um, but... His, he signed, he was kind of like Jordan and I think LeBron and, and some of, you know, Kobe, some of those players that signed deals. So he, he signed deal with, or signed a deal with Upper Deck. And so he won't, if you, you know, a lot of these players will have in Panini, they'll have their autograph cards and, and things like that. My understanding is Simmons, I don't think has any autographs, or at least certainly not of his rookie year in any of the Panini products. I think you're only going to find that in Upper Deck products and so if you do want to go after something maybe a little more on the high end with an auto or something like that probably going to need to look at upper deck maybe something like exquisite or or something along that that line um, but anyway so it's look I, I had a uh, I posted on social media I have I have one of Simmons cards that I actually got graded with HGA just because I it was an insert some really nice design on the card and so I thought it would look really cool in a custom slab it is not an expensive card but I also thought there's a little bit of irony in the card. It was kind of it was a little funny as well because it's it's um and because you know it was right I think Panini released it the same year. Uh, I want to say it's 2019, 2020, somewhere in that ballpark. It was I think same year where he kind of had some struggles in the playoffs. And the insert is complete players. <laughs> and so it was like yeah, yeah well yeah, maybe we'll maybe not so much. Now I don't want to be too hard on now, the guy. I mean who he, knows? he I, would he could, be complete he if, if he do... shot the ball well, he would be complete. I yeah. mean think yeah. about it. Yeah. But... yeah. Well that's what I'm saying. Like, look, who knows? You know, things could happen and 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 maybe who knows where his mental space is right now, but 
I, I don't know. Yeah, you're right. I, that could be a good place for him. And, and I'll tell and, you what, it's think not about, like he's not a bad player. Oh, he's such a good player. And think so, about the contrast right now between the Nets and Philly. Nets can honestly just kind of relax this season. Like, if they don't win the season, not a big deal. They've still got all these guys, like, going forward. Now, the 76ers are in a win now. It's like, win this year and next year. Because guess what? James Harden, he's yeah. got a player option next season. He might not stick around with you if you yeah. don't like what he see. Yeah. Like, like he could seriously leave like you have no idea and he's already done this to two teams already where i mean he can just force a trade like that if he needs to if he wants to i should say yeah um so i mean he's a big just kind of question mark so 76ers i mean they're kind of in a in a bit of an interesting situation in terms of they've got like a kind of a ticking clock here with the uncertainties that come with james harden but let's get into some of the other trades. So I want to talk about and, the Porzingis, and I want to talk about the Sabonis trade. And by the way, Harden, James Harden, if people are interested in his cards, um, you know, he's. I'm not going to get into all the stuff on him. I will say this, though, about James Harden. Do, do be a little careful if you're buying some of his higher-end stuff because there was, I don't know, a couple, few years ago now, um, there was kind of a rash of some counterfeit cards can and altered cards. There was... Um, uh, in fact, I think some of his cards were, there's a kind of a whole scandal that happened a few years ago about the altering of cards where they would trim cards to try to make them cleaner and get a higher grade. And they would sort of color them to make them, you know, do, do different things to try to make the card look nicer. So he has a fair number of altered cards and counterfeit cards out there. So you do have to be a little careful buying his stuff. All right. So Let's just touch on the Porzingis trade because I don't really feel like we need to get real in depth on this one. The Sabonis trade is the one that I think is bigger. Um, this one, yeah, I agree. I'm just kind of, it's interesting to me. So I guess the Mavs just decided that this is going to be the end of the Luca. They're going to stop trying with Luca and Kristaps. I mean, I guess I would kind of agree with it. From what I've seen, from from how I've seen them play the past, well, what few did years. they get for him? I feel I feel like the Wizards got the better end of that deal. Mm, well, oh wait, here's the thing. Well, Chris Stapps is kind of again, he's a question mark with his injuries. I I don't think Dallas made. I think Dallas made a like a pretty solid move in the fact that they decided it was time to move on and you know change what they were doing because clearly the Luke Chris Stapps one-two punch really wasn't really meshing that well. You never really saw those guys working together a whole lot like you would expect a one-two punch to work together. So, like, I don't really, like, I think, I I, I kind of agree with them. But Spencer Dinwiddie and Davis Bertans, like, Spencer Dinwiddie is a really great player, really, really solid player. Not having the best year, but, like, I mean, that dude can flat-out play. If you saw him on the Nets a few seasons ago, like, that Nets team that I think was seventh in 2020, I don't even know if they had an all-star. Dinwiddie was probably the best player on that team. Hmm. They had Jared Allen. But, like... That's good. And then Davis Bertans basically does what Kristaps does. He just plays less minutes. Like, he, he's, like, 6'10". He shoots the three. Kristaps was starting to play around the rim a little bit more, but, like, they were really having to – like, Jason Kidd really kind of had to make him do that because he had kind of fallen back to, like, you know, pick and pop, shoot the three, and even though he's 7'3". Um, yeah. So Davis Bertans is kind of basically going to do that. <laughs> um, but it is interesting, though, that they lost such a tall player. So it'll be interesting to see they're kind of – power forward center rotation now but i don't know all right so before we get to the uh sabonis and halliburton and all that i talk blazers real quick because i guess we talked blazers last time but i mean they basically just gave did blazers get anything i mean they got got, a bunch of picks i feel like they they didn't get a bunch of young a bunch of young guys and a bunch of picks that's what they got but i feel like they didn't get enough draft picks for what they gave up i don't know 
It's hard to say, and from what I saw, I've seen comments that and Dame's made. It seems like Dame wants to stay, and he wants to work with the new team when he comes back. So I honestly think it sounds like Dame's going to stay in Portland, so they're not tearing the whole thing down. So it'll be interesting to see the next chapter. I just really hope that they don't waste Dame's prime. Well, exactly, because I think they're in for a long road ahead, and I, I don't know how many more years Dame has left. But let me ask you this, too, about McCollum. I mean, so if you're McCollum, are you happy about going to the Pelicans? It depends. Once Zion comes back, it'll be interesting to see. Yeah. Because if Zion comes back, if Zion comes back, it'll be interesting. I think when Zion comes back, it'll be interesting to see. Yeah. Because, I mean, if they're fully healthy, I mean, that's not a terrible team. Like, that's, they could be pretty good, but I don't know. I I honestly wonder if the Pelicans are going to use him more as a trade piece more than anything, but I don't know. We'll see. Hmm. Um, They might, hard to say. All right, so Sabonis, Halliburton. Sabonis and the Kings. So this trade is just super surprising to me for both teams. Cause I have seen a lot of guys in the I card like, space kind of say, oh, great, they were kind of all in on Halliburton, and now they're like right? you know, ready to go dump all his stuff since he went to the <laughs> Well, <laughs> but hey. okay, the Kings and Pacers are like, are like an equal <laughs> equal team. Like literally, like all the stuff I saw was like DeMontis Sabonis going to the Kings is like, nothing literally literally nothing changed for him basically because these two teams are basically in the same place in the standings in the east and west so but the but kings, i'm really surprised that the kings gave up tyrese halbert i know kings fans are like going crazy right now because they don't understand what the heck the kings are doing and i don't either i don't know why they would give up tyrese halliburton yeah um that just doesn't make any sense to me i also was surprised that the pacers are going into like completely like changing their team like i really thought that like they should keep Sabonis. I honestly think that the Pacers, if they had a, if they had, if the Sabonis was their second best player, they would be an incredibly good team. Like if they bring in like an like another like all NBA type player that's a, like it's like the first option, makes Sabonis the second option. Think about how good they are. Yeah. Like they're already a really solid team with the roster that they had before the trade deadline. Yeah. They just were hit with injuries and they just weren't getting it done because the Eastern Conference is really really tough this year, but. Honestly, another thing they really they needed to bring in some perimeter shooting. They could have done that, but they've just decided to completely kind of give away a lot of players, especially their best players. So I don't know. It'll be interesting to see. But the Kings should be better than they are, though. They really should be. But I think this move especially is going to make them a lot better. And the Kings are definitely kind of in like let's make the playoffs mode. They're kind of tired of not making the playoffs. This is a very like power powerful move towards getting a playoff bid like this year yeah and they're right in the mix for the play-in spot so i don't know i mean i don't know what you said the tyrese halliburton cards were crashing what about like sabonis does his even change no i don't know that they were crashing as much as people were just like you know yeah saying i'm gonna dump all my halliburton stuff now but i don't know that they really will i'm looking you know there's not a lot of graded um halliburton stuff out there yet at least in in pro uniform so probably expect more of that to be coming but if you look at just his raw the prism 2020 was his uh, rookie year and if you look at the raw prism silver sells for around 50 bucks it really hasn't changed much um been yeah. pretty much you know up and I mean, down exactly but what pretty i'm saying like he's literally just going months. he's going to the west pacers now. yeah he plays for the west pacers now that's literally it yeah but another thing i'll mention about this trade is so buddy healed goes to the pacers He's one of the best shooters in the league. And like I was just saying, like the Pacers really, honestly, what I expected them to do the trade deadline was just look to add some more perimeter shooting. And 
I think that would give them a pretty good boost to their team. They literally got Buddy healed, but they gave up so much because they got these other guys too. I'm surprised they didn't just go for Buddy and maybe trade like a Justin Hall. They included Justin Holiday and Jeremy Lamb. Maybe those two could have gone for Buddy. Not really sure how that would work out with the salary, but like. So again, that's just this whole trade is just kind of confusing to me and surprising just for both teams. I'm, yeah, I'm just I didn't really expect either of these teams to to make these kinds of moves right now, but I don't know. Well. Who who all I'm trying hold on I'm gonna pull up Sacramento's roster so I'm trying to remember who all they've got yeah they Darren Fox Darren Fox they have they had Halliburton they had Halliburton they have um Davion Mitchell did he, was he part of the deal did they did they get rid of Mitchell no no they, they still have Mitchell they have um uh, Rashawn Holmes he's a vet yeah um they, they had, got rid but, of they Bagley. had Buddy healed <laughs> that was a good piece for them um yeah I mean you said they got rid of Bagley. They did get rid of Bagley. That was a different trade. Bagley's going to the Pistons. And then, right. And then Tristan Thompson went with um, Halliburton. He goes to the Pacers. Yeah, so, yeah, I don't know. So, I mean, yeah. I mean, well, to be honest, Marvin Bagley wasn't, like, obviously wasn't playing fantastic for them. Just pretty solid, but I don't know. So here's one question I have for you, not to bounce around too much here, but going back to the uh, Simmons-Harden trade. I'll tell you one thing I was a little bit surprised about is that is it surprising that they would make that in their own conference against that was the talk, team? That, that I mean, that was definitely talked about a little bit. But, I again, I think this is one of those rare situations where both teams benefit immediately. Yeah. And so that was kind of what it was. And, again, it's one of those where you, these you are also face two of the teams like Simmons in the playoff. If you're you the could. 76ers, you could face him in the oh, playoffs. There might be could. some people out there who say, yeah, bring it on. Absolutely, let's face him in the playoffs. But, but So here's the other thing I'll say about this is that these are, like, the two biggest distractions for each team. Like, Ben Simmons is obviously a very big distraction for 76ers. James Harden is probably the biggest distraction for the Nets. They don't even have those. They don't have those distractions anymore. So that's another thing that yeah. made this trade kind of necessary for both teams. Yeah. Um, even though point. they are in the same, you know, division. So yeah. That's a good point. All right. Well, well that's kind of all we have for the trades. Again, a lot of activity this year. Pretty good trade deadline. But I think we can go ahead and move on now to the coach's corner. All right, well, we thought for the coach's corner we would touch a little bit on, we've talked in the past about set composition and kind of how the sets are made up and that kind of thing, but we thought we'd get a little more specific on the types of cards that you find within sets and what that looks like because we've heard questions from folks that oftentimes you know people will get confused with that, especially folks that are new to the hobby or that maybe left and came back because there's a lot of change that's happened, especially in the composition of sets over the last few years. So I figure we just touch on that real quick, and I will be fast about this. I'm not going to belabor the points on any of this and spend a lot of time. But So at the end of the day, each set and will have what, what you'll refer to as the base set, base cards. And oftentimes there'll be maybe a paper version of that and a chrome version, like tops. There's tops and then there's tops chrome. That's just paper and chrome. And it's obviously the materials that are used um, to make the cards. So the base set, it will be your numbered, you know, 200, 1 to 200, or 1 to 300, 1 to 500, however many cards are in that base set. And then you'll have what we refer to as parallels. So when we talk about parallels, all that means is another version of a card. And so 
there can be parallels of cards in the base set and then there can also be parallels of other cards in other sort of subsets or inserts which we'll get to in just a minute but so th those parallels are just different versions of a card so let's start with base different versions of a base card <clears throat> why they're sometimes are why they're often more attractive is because they're shorter prints you know the base is going to have the highest print run and the parallels are generally going to have a lower print run and you know what that looks like it just depends on what the parallel is sometimes parallels are serial numbered and so obviously then you know the exact number if it's serial numbered to 99 you know there's 99 of those cards serial numbered to one there's only one of those cards you know serial numbered to five to 299 to 2000 to 10 to 25 to 50 there's all kinds of different you know serial number combinations that are used for some of the different parallels and then other parallels don't have serial numbers at all and an example of that might be we've talked before about panini prism and the silver so silver there's no serial number on silver um, but it's just a it's a silver is a parallel and color using colors for parallels is is um, a very common thing we'll get into some of the different types of parallels but and generally again while there's not serial numbered you don't know the exact count or print runs generally there's a lot lower than base and what we found when you look at the pop reports uh, that it generally looks like and we've talked about this before where the parallels that aren't serial numbered will probably be about 10 percent so for every 10 base cards there'd be one of those parallels now the parallels oftentimes will be different colors like i said to be red blue green silver whatever and that's where you hear guys talk about the rainbow they want to collect the rainbow and that's what they're referring to is just getting the different colors of the parallels that are available for a particular card uh, other parallels might have different design elements like you'll hear about cracked ice or sapphire or snakeskin or camo or fireworks or refractors different things like that um, and those are generally what they sound like right so fireworks the card looks like there's fireworks kind of exploding um, camo it's got camo around you know uh, camouflage design kind of around the board of the card or you know different things like that so those can also be some of the parallels uh, and then you can also have something referred to as image variations um, or maybe not image it could be just different types of variations there will be oftentimes player images so maybe there's an image of someone you know in the field or someone at bat or maybe like with the Ronald Acuna Jr. card we were talking about before there's in one of the more popular image variations of him is it's called bat down where there's one his base has got his when he's just completed a swing and his bat is up high in the air and then the the short print or the parallel is or the I should say the image variation is one where the bat is actually down low um, on the follow-through of the swing and that's the the rarer card the image again image variations are like parallels they're shorter print runs and so there's not as much supply of them and so they'll generally command premiums relative to base cards and image variations can be can mean a lot of things you can have name variations sometimes instead of saying you know the name of a player like say David Ortiz it might say the nickname like Big Poppy or something like that um, or you might have team name variations where it might instead of saying San Francisco if say that's the standard in the base set to say the city maybe a variation is to say the mascot say the Giants or vice versa or there's color variations um, you see one of the more popular ones look thinking about vintage cards might be a Mickey Mantle I think it's a 1969 Topps Mickey Mantle 
where there's a color variation with his last name in yellow and then another color variation with his last name in white and the last name in white's the more rare version of the card so you can have a lot of different variations and again a lot all that means oftentimes is that there are fewer of those cards that were produced and so therefore they will tend to command a higher value than your base cards okay and then in sets you will have inserts you can also think of inserts as just subsets if you will they are sets within a set and it can be anything it can be an autograph insert a memorabilia card um, a autograph and memorabilia like a rookie patch auto those are all kind of inserts or subsets within the set and so there might be a checklist of 20 players that have an autograph or a rookie autograph or a memorabilia card and so there'll be you know checklists for each of those inserts inserts can also be themed cards like you've heard us talk before about like the kaboom insert or the downtowns or the my house brandon you pulled a my house yeah, in your optic cool. there's cool or color blast is another popular one stained glass is another popular one there's a lot of sort of popular inserts and then you know different creative types of inserts that will be used and again these inserts are generally lower print runs and so lower supply so they will generally command a higher value and then they also have different and interesting designs and sometimes you know certain designs might be more sought after than others depending on what's popular and keep in mind that all of those inserts can also have parallels so they can also have different colors or different serial numbered cards or different image variations or name you know they all those things that we talked about in the base set parallels and variations and everything else that can also be in the inserts or in the subsets you know and then and then when you think about memorabilia cards like patch cards the the patch matters too right like you can have a single color patch two color patch a three color patch or patches that have things like the team logo on them or maybe nike the logo of you know nike or adidas or whoever the shoe sponsor is or uniform sponsor is then you could have obviously some of the more popular ones are the ones that have the league logo so like in the nba it's the logo man um, patch or in the nfl it would be the nfl shield patch those are often associated with the one of one the serial numbered one of ones there's only one produced cards so all of that stuff all those variations and parallels and inserts and subsets and all those things and then the base cards all of those make up the set and so that's where we talked about before you know where you look at like 2020 prism football or basketball and there's goodness i don't even i don't even remember now i'd have to go back to our notes from that show but there was something like you know 40 different types of parallels and variations and you know 10 or 12 or 15 different inserts and parallels and variations and all the inserts and so ultimately there can be in the past there might have just been like if you go collect the tops 1975 baseball set that we talked about that i just submitted cards for george brett and robin yount rookie cards to psa for that's there's one set and there's you know 700 cards in that set that's it there's no parallels no image variations no nothing you just that's the set 700 cards that's it now today sets are more like several thousand cards because maybe the base set is only two or three or four hundred cards but then with all of the other things that are part of that set it can now be two or three or four thousand cards to actually collect everything that makes up a particular set 
So that just wanted to give a little more color on what some of those different terms and, and, and types of cards mean when we talk about them, parallels and, and inserts and all that type of stuff. A good source um, for this information and to get the checklists that are part of these sets um, can be the card manufacturers themselves, like Tops actually has a site or a, or a page on their site where they show the checklists for all their products. Um, I believe Panini has something similar. You can also go to sites like Cardboard Connection and Beckett. Uh, we've talked about those two before. And as opposed to giving out their, all the different web addresses and everything else, I'll just tell you, go to our website, click on Hobby Resources, and then you will can see we've got uh, a section under there called Card Manufacturers. We've also got a section under there called Card Research. You can click on both of those, and then we will show you the links to all of the major companies in the space. And so you can link directly to their sites from there. And so you can check that out for more information. So like I said, wanted to try to make it quick, but just give a little sort of primer. It's a little more than a primer, I guess, but a rundown of kind of what all these different things mean. So hope that was helpful, but that's, we'll leave it there for today. So, all right, that'll be the show. I hope everyone enjoyed it. It is Super Bowl weekend, so hope everyone has a great weekend. Hopefully there'll be some good commercials, and hopefully it'll be a good game. Hopefully it's a good game. Yeah, so thanks for listening, everybody. Brandon, go ahead and take us out. All right, so we hope you enjoyed today's show. As always, we're open to suggestions. We do incorporate listener suggestions on our show, so please feel free to let us know what you like, don't like, things you'd like to hear more about, all that stuff. Also, let us know if you have any specific guests that you'd like us to interview on the show. Again, this is your show. We'd love to hear from you and get your feedback so we can make the show better and more enjoyable for you. And remember to check us out on social media. Like and follow our page and channels, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, and check out our website, www.the615collector.com, and subscribe to our email list. Yeah, so episode 16 is in the books. Thanks again to all of our listeners. We will see you all next Friday, same time, same place, here on The 615 Collector.